Now, if you often watch um, or play sports, there is one word that you regularly uh, hear on the lips of coaches and television pundits. And the word I'm thinking of is confidence. Confidence. Good performance in any sports depends on how confident the individual or the team feels about their ability to perform. So if you watch football, you may have often heard, or sometimes you may have heard a football manager say, after a defeat, we were beaten before we stepped onto the pitch. Or the, uh, the manager might say, I am trying to convince my players that they are good enough. Uh, we are desperate lacking confidence. They need that at the moment. Well, what is true in sports or in games is also true in our spiritual life with God. We cannot enjoy our lives as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ without confidence. But our confidence differs from the confidence that the world has, you see. The world looks to confidence in themselves. But we as followers of Jesus must have confidence in God. We must have confidence that God truly loves us in the Lord Jesus Christ. But sadly, as many of you would know in your own lives, there are many times in our lives when we suffer a crisis of confidence. We suffer a crisis of confidence in the love of God. And this may happen for many reasons. Uh, it may be because you're going through a difficult period of suffering in your life at the moment. Or it may be because you're praying for change uh, in some area, not just suffering, but something, and the answer seems to be a bit slow coming from God. And that dents your confidence a bit in the love of God. Or it may be due to mental factors or psychological factors. For example, uh, some people just go through periods, for example, where they think negatively and gloomy about their lives. Or it may simply be because we are struggling with some sin in our life, and that we're trying to shake off, and we're struggling to shake it off. And as a result, of course, it has taken the sin, our confidence, from God, away from God, onto something else. There are many things that plunge us into a crisis of confidence about the love of God that makes us doubt His love in our lives. And when we are in that crisis of confidence, our relationship with God, of course, can become a joyless Struggle. It's difficult to live the Christian life if you're going through a crisis of confidence in the love of God. Today we're looking at a passage from a letter written by the Apostle John uh, to a group of people who were experiencing a crisis of confidence. You see, when they became followers of Jesus, some false teachers had crept in among them. And these false teachers tried to turn these true believers away from the love of Jesus. And it seems that these false teachers had created divisions in the church. They had promoted sins of hatred, selfishness, and the love of the world, the love of the things of the world. And at the time that John is writing this first letter, uh, these false teachers had just left the church. And they had left behind a confused church uh, with many questions. And I imagine they were asking questions such as this because um, John addresses this question. They were asking, who are we really? Is Jesus really God? Does God really love us? Do we really have life with God? Is sinning so bad? 
Do we really need to love everyone? As I said, the letter deals with these and many other questions. Well, the passage we are looking at this morning addresses a particular question that these followers of Jesus had. And the question is this, how can we be sure that God truly loves us? And John addresses this question in 1 John chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. And in this wonderful passage, this great passage, the Apostle John gives us two reasons, two great reasons why every true follower of Jesus can be absolutely, can be absolutely confident that God loves us. The first reason that John gives us, which is in your outline, is that God has proved his love for us publicly. We can be confident that God loves us because God has proved his love for us publicly. God has proved his love for us by God the Father publicly sending God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to come and save us from our sins. That's what verse 14 says there. And we have seen and testified that the Father, God the Father, sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the Savior of the world. And what a wonderful phrase that is. We have seen. Because John is speaking as an eyewitness. He and the other apostles live with Jesus. And they now stand as eyewitnesses to the great proclamation of the love of God in Jesus. Verse 14 is, is, is basically restating what John has already said in verse 9. Look, just glance over there in verse 9. He says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this verse 14 also restates that famous verse in the Bible. John 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. The point verse 14 is making and these other scriptures is that God has sent his own son Jesus to a sinful world to save us. Why has God done this? Well the answer is in verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God sent his son out of the depth of his love for us because he loves us. And so the question we then ask is, how does the coming of Jesus as our savior prove that God loves us? Well, because the coming, we know from the Bible as a whole, the coming of Jesus as our savior involved six wonderful events, loving events in the life of our Lord. The first loving event is that to be our Savior, God the Son put on the rags of human flesh so that He can live as one of us and die for us. The Apostle John actually speaks of this in his, uh, first, um, in, in his gospel account in John chapter 1, verse 14. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son, he loves that word, doesn't he? Only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If Boris Johnson tomorrow abandons life in number 10 and decides to move down to live in Woolwich, then we would know for sure that the forces of the Great Reset have really got to him. We would, wouldn't we? 
We don't expect Boris to do that. For him to do that, to abandon life in number 10, to tell Carrie that, no, we're going to live in Woolwich, then we know something has seriously gone wrong with our man Boris. You see, the great and powerful people of this evil present age only live for themselves. They grab political power to get away from people, not to identify with them. Oh, what a sharp contrast to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is very God of very God. And yet the Lord Jesus descended an infinite distance to be with us in our sinful state. By putting on our, on our humanity, the Creator God fully identified Himself with us fallen creatures. The eternal God embraced the temporal. The infinite God now willingly wears our finitude as a man. The transcendent God who dwells in light now sits as an infant in the cradle. No one loves us like God does in Jesus. Because you see, no one has ever bridged a greater gap than the infinite gap that God bridged for us between us and him. The coming of the Lord Jesus, of God dressing himself in our flesh, is the first event that proves the love of God to us. The second event in the life of Jesus that proves the love of God to us is that our Lord Jesus lived a perfect life. He did this so that he could be the perfect and acceptable sacrifice for our sin before God. The writer to the Hebrews says this in Hebrews 7 verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. You know, in most marriage cultures, there is a period of courtship where couples prove their loyalty to one another. It's normal. But for us and Jesus, it was one-sided. Jesus proved his loving commitment to us by succeeding where Adam failed. Our Lord endured suffering and temptation, and he lived perfectly, and he did all of that out of love for us. You see, when we look at the CV of every human being who has ever lived, it has only one word, sinner. That's what's written on each of our CVs, sinner. But on Jesus' CV, it is written perfect. Perfect. And the good news of Jesus is that our Lord took his perfect CV to the cross where he swapped it with your sinful CV. He swapped it for your sinful record against God. You see, because of the sinless life of Jesus, if you trust in Jesus this morning, because of your sinless, because of the sinless life of Jesus, God now looks upon you as he looks upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He looks upon Jesus and he says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If you are trusting in Jesus, God looks upon you like that. Because you are now dressed in the perfect, sinless record of our Lord Jesus Christ. How is that possible? Well, because of the third event in the life of our Lord Jesus. 
The third event. The third event is that to be our Savior, our Lord Jesus, died for us on the cross. The verses we read earlier from 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 to 10 are worth reading again. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. He loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. If you like, the the, the person who bears the very wrath of God for us. The tragedy of our human existence is that we are by nature rebels against God. And are therefore cut off from the intimate life with the most holy God. You see, just as day and night, day cannot happen at the same time, right? Day and night cannot happen at the same time. The most holy God cannot share life with us sinners. We deserve only eternal punishment. But God, out of the abundance of his love, has reached out to us in our sin. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. God the Son, the Lord Jesus, has gone to the cross to pay the penalty we deserved. Beloved, when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, God the Father placed upon Jesus our sin, your sin. Jesus on that cross suffered the punishment from God that I deserve, that you deserve. Oh, beloved, listen to some of the benefits his loving death has accomplished for you. If you have truly repented of sin and are trusting in Jesus alone. Listen to some of the benefits that the death of Jesus has accomplished for you. And don't get tired of listening to those benefits. The death of Jesus has reconciled you to God. Before you were an enemy of God, but because our Lord Jesus died for you, You are now a friend of God forever. The death of Jesus has redeemed you back to God. You were a slave of sin, bound for hell. But Jesus, your Samson, broke the chains. And he set you free to live with God forever. The death of Jesus is your substitute for all your sins, past, present, future. On the cross, the Lord Jesus drank the full wrath of God designed for you. So your sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. It pleased the Lord Jesus, the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, to crush his son, the prophet Isaiah tells us. It pleased Jesus to bear on in his body the full spiritual and physical violence of God in our place. And through his substitutionary death, Jesus now keeps all who trust in him safe from the wrath of God forever. The death of Jesus is your sacrifice as well. 
Before you could not enter the very presence of God. Your sin was a barrier that kept you away from God forever. But the death of Jesus, as we saw in Mark, has torn the curtain wide open. Through the sweet-smelling sacrificial death to God, we are now fully welcome before the presence of God. And the death of Jesus is your victory. It's your victory. It defeats the enemies of sin. The enemies of death. It defeats sin, death, Satan and hell. We are more than conquerors through him. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. The Bible tells us. Oh, beloved, there is no greater proof of the death of, of the greater proof of the, how much God loves us than the very death of our Lord Jesus Christ on that cross. You see, the love of the death of Jesus on the cross was like the sun shining upon the garbage dump. We are the garbage dump. There is nothing lovely in us. We deserve hell. And yet the Son of Righteousness has entered this dark world and His love has shone brightly for us on the cross. That's the third event. That's the third event. And there is more, isn't there? The fourth event in the life of Jesus that proves the love of God is that God raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Death could not hold the Lord Jesus Christ. And he raised him up. Why? For us. Paul writing to the church at Colossus says this in Colossians chapter 2 verse 13. And you, that is us, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our sins. To put it simply, when Jesus rose from death, we rose with him. Jesus is a super rescue agent who bound his fate to those he came to rescue. If we won't get out, he won't get out. But our Lord Jesus Christ did and we got out. The resurrection of Jesus is not only God approving of the work of his son, it is God welcoming us into his family as his very own. That's why when Peter writes his first letter, he says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his grace mercy, he has done what? He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Because we are now risen with Jesus and have life in him, we will never stop being a member of God's family. Just as like when a child is born in the family, they share, if you like, the properties that no matter what goes on in the family, they will still be related. Then they fall out, they never talk to each other again, mom and daughter. But the matter of fact is they are still family. Because that relationship is permanent. And that is the same thing we share with God. He has caused us to be born again. We now are permanently children of God in Christ Jesus. 
But more than simply being born again. The death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, has now defeated death itself for us. Yes, all of us are going to die physically if the Lord tarries. But we will rise in the end. We will rise and live with God forever. That's the fourth event. The resurrection of Jesus. Which proves the love of God to us. And it only gets better, doesn't it? It actually gets better beyond the resurrection of Jesus. Because the fifth event in the life of Jesus is that after Jesus rose from death, he entered heaven itself and now sits on the throne of God. You know, when a driver wins a Formula One championship, they get on the podium, don't they? And for that season, they are now the reigning champion. Well, Jesus has gotten to the podium and is now reigning champion forever. No more seasons. That's it. The ascension of Jesus, the God-man, which we don't talk about so often, but the ascension of Jesus, the God-man, means that for the first time, listen to me, beloved, for the first time, a human being is now sat in the chair of the Ancient of Days. The Lord Jesus, the God-man, as a human being, now sits there, exalted for us, as one of the hymns says. For the first time, Our human skin rubs against the throne of heaven. Dust sits at the right hand of God. Beloved, if you're trusting in Jesus, God has pursued you from the womb of Mary to the throne room of heaven. He has brought you in Jesus into the very presence of God. In Jesus, you are no longer lost. You are not merely existing. You are ruling and reigning with Jesus in heaven now. As Paul tells the church at Ephesus. That is how much God loves us. That is what John is getting at. When he's saying God has sent his son to be our savior. That is the fruit of the serving work of Jesus. But there's one more serving event. The sixth and final event in the life of Jesus that proves the love of God to us has actually not yet happened. We have been saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. I am, of course, referring to what all of us, I hope, here are waiting for on tenterhooks. Waiting for it, eagerly. Waiting for it, especially in these dark days. Waiting for it, as the world seems in chaos. What are we waiting for? Not the relaxation of the lockdown. Not a better pension. Not a better graduation to a better home. No, what is keeping us hoping and what we are fixed on as believers is nothing short than the coming of God in the flesh again for us. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, is coming again to deliver us from this evil present age. The one who is fully God and fully man, who has ascended in heaven, is coming again to bring us into the new heavens 
and the new earth. You see, all of this, all of this, oh, none of this matters. Because all of this, you see, is, is just moving us forward to that great day. Our lives, the job, this and that, everything we're doing in the grand scheme of things is, is, is valueless compared to what's headed in front of us. The, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he, he descends in glory. When he comes to judge the living and the dead. Oh, it will be a terrible day, of course, for those who do not know him. For those who have not yet repented of their sins. But for us, we long for it, don't we? We are longing for that glorious appearance of the Lord. Because we know it will be like a day like no other. The Apostle John says when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him. We shall see him as he is. In all his glory and splendor as God and Savior. First John chapter 3 verse 1 to 2 says this. If you flick back, it simply says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. You know, I have an Apple TV, right? And when it is in standby mode, uh, it shows you all the beautiful places in the world. I think they are captured by the drone, and it's just breathtaking. <laughs> Sometimes I can just sit there, flick across when it's in standby. I like putting it in standby, and I can see China. Wow, amazing forest. You know, it takes you under the sea, and you see all these wonderful things. It's great, and it changes every month, I think. You can set it to change every month. It's breathtaking. The glories of cities, amazing, at night. Beautiful landscape, coastal lands. The stars of the heavens, as I said, the undersea fish, and, oh, just marvelous. But none of that compares to the glory that awaits us when we see Jesus face to face. We could combine billions and billions of worlds and sum them up. They won't come close to the glory we see when Jesus descends in glory. Can you imagine seeing the face of Jesus? Can you imagine basking in, the, in his love every second, the one who is love? Well, it is impossible, isn't it? It is beyond imagining. And the good news is you don't have to imagine anything because if you're trusting in Jesus, you'll be there, Paul says, you'll be fully fitted with a new body, custom made from heaven. Your lowly body will be transformed into the body that Christ has. The old Negro spiritual says, Oh Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching. Well, if you're trusting in Jesus, you will be there. And we can go on, of course, can't we? But I hope you've seen that the point is clear. The entire serving work of Jesus, his incarnation, his sinless life, his death on the cross, 
His resurrection. His ascension into heaven. And of course, His second coming. All of these things are public proof that God loves us. You see, in a gathering like this, we are all facing different situations in our lives. Some of us here are struggling with physical or relational suffering. Some simply feel at this moment perhaps rotten inside. You are going through a period of your life perhaps where you feel lonely. You feel worthless perhaps or you just feel disappointed in life. And some here are struggling in their life with God. You have professed faith but you will find yourself plunging into sin. And if you are honest, you, are, you feel like you are barely holding on to Jesus. I wonder, is that you this morning? Well, the message of John in this passage is that shift your focus away from yourself and your circumstances and fix them firmly on what matters. The public display of God's love that isn't just a display, it's a transforming love for you in Jesus Christ. Let the scale and immensity of the love of Jesus our Savior sink deep within your heart. Let this love become the center of your relationship with God. Ask God to make real verse 16 for you. Or 1 John chapter 4. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Pray today that you shouldn't just believe, but you could say with John, I have come to know. I am believing and trusting and being changed by this love. Ask God to do that. Do not be content with mere intellectual stimulation. Ask God to prove you are his child by transforming you to fix your heart on this public display of his love for you. There is no confidence to be found by looking deep within. There is no confidence to be found by more activities. There is no confidence to be found even by church attendance. Oh, beloved, as Octavius Winslow says, you must look beyond all that. And find a focus on Christ himself and what he's accomplished. Let that love of Christ be your anchor. You have every reason to be confident that God loves you in Jesus because he has proved his love for you publicly. That's the first reason. And quickly, the second reason, I promise you'll be quick. The second reason there in your outline is that we can be confident that God loves us because God has given us the personal presence of his love. God has given us the personal presence of his love. The love of God in Jesus our Savior is not only a public display of love, it is a love intimately experienced by us. Let's look at verse 14 to 16 again there. He says, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. 
God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. What John is saying is that the love, the love of God, if you like, seen on the cross in Jesus, has now taken its home in the hearts of all those who confess and trust in Jesus, God the Son, as their Savior. That's what verse 15 is saying. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides, God lives in him, and he lives in God. Confessing Jesus as God the Son in the book of John is not simply accepting Jesus is God. Even devils believe that. It is that they confessed him more in the gospel as the only one than anyone else. So devils believe Jesus is God. That's not what it means to confess here. It is having trust in Jesus that then shows evidence of a changed life of love for God. Verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Notice what he says then. God is love. And whoever lives or abides in God, abides in love, abides in God or lives in God. God lives in him or abides in him. John is saying when we turn to Jesus, God comes and lives inside of us by his spirit. And this is then what enables us to, um, if you like, he lives inside of us by his spirit. And because God is love, um, our life with God is now a life of love. And because the Holy Spirit lives in us, it generates within us this inner assurance that God really does love us. The inner witness of the spirit. And, and the work of the spirit is a work of love that then enables us to love other people. And this is the big theme of First John it is that God lives in his children and we live in God. We share life with God. If you like to be born again is to have union with God. Being a follower of Jesus you see, is different from any other religion. Our faith in Jesus is a living, personal, dynamic and intimate relationship with God. God speaks to us in his word and the Holy Spirit ministers deep in our hearts that we are children of God. He generates, as I said, that confidence in God. And of course, when we talk to God in prayer, he hears us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit who lives in us helps us to pray. We do not know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us. He helps us to pray to God. This is the personal, intimate love of God to us. The American writer, Albert Hubbard, famously said, a friend is the person who knows all about you and yet still likes you. And of course, if that is true, then God is our best friend, isn't it? Because he's the only friend who gives us all of himself up front, Right? And by living in us, he not only knows us experientially, but as God, he knows all of us. He knows us as his creatures. So he knows us inside out, literally. And yet still loves us in Jesus. Sadly, like the early Christians who read this letter, 
As I said, we often forget that in Jesus, we have this fantastic, deep, loving life with God, who is always with us. When pain and suffering strikes, we start doubting ourselves. We start doubting to ourselves, don't we? It's good to doubt ourselves and to fix ourselves only on Christ alone. But the problem is that we often doubt the love of God. We start asking if God is present, why is he letting me suffer? Why is he letting me go through this? Why the silent treatment? When we meet other Christians telling us about how much God has done for them, we can feel jealous and we can start longing for our own miracles. We want some experience to, to, to validate our relationship with God. That's why people love those kind of experiential stuff. We are constantly chasing for evidence that proves God loves us. And when we don't have that thing, we become miserable. So the misery comes from that. But there's also the misery that comes when we're facing a particular temptation. Maybe we're watching something we should not watch or overeat and pollute us, our bodies or we easily give in to sin. Ooh, that doubt script from that, don't they? From, from living a sinful life. Why are we living a sinful life? Why do we do that? Because we forget that God lives in us and is personally loving us and nourishing us with his life. And if we remember this truth today, it will help us resist many temptations. You see, John recognizes that as long as we are in this world, we will experience many doubts and failures. But his message to us today is this, is very simple. If you're trusting in Jesus, be confident that God loves you because he does, right? Because his word says so. And that God has proved his love to you publicly and is proving his love every day by being personally present in your life, loving you from inside out by his spirit. And as you walk with God, you will grow in experiencing more of the presence of his love in your life. So when you start doubting, can I just encourage you this morning? When you start doubting, turn to this passage of the Bible Reassure yourself of his love and pray the passage back to God. Amen.